Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of 1 Corinthians, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read beginning in verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So far in this letter, Paul has talked about the wisdom of unity, how submission to one another creates a place of acceptance, of love, of purpose, and belonging. But he reminds his readers that this kind of sounds foolish to the rest of the world. Following Jesus' example of humble submission on the cross just gets you killed in the mind of the world. But in the wisdom of God, the world gets to see God's power through this amazing event where Jesus was raised back to life. 
And Paul tells us we can't know the mind of God. We don't know why he does everything he does. We just don't have enough information. But he does remind us that we can have the mind of Christ. We can think about things in terms of how they bring glory to God, whether or not they're productive and helpful to the body of Christ. We can have the mind of Christ. But developing that mind is developing spiritual wisdom. And Paul, in the section we just read, says that the members of the church in Corinth have not developed that kind of spiritual wisdom. So he can't talk to them in spiritual terms. He has to use metaphors. And in this section, he uses a metaphor of a farm, a temple, and a family. He uses physical descriptions, hoping to help them start to develop the insight of the spiritual meaning of what God's doing in and through the body of Christ, the church. When Paul challenges their spiritual maturity, he compares them to babies who can't eat solid food yet and are in need of milk. He said he knew that they couldn't handle things of more spiritual substance because of the way they were reacting when things didn't go their way. So he begins trying to simplify things for them, describing the body of Christ as a farm. Like the folks in Corinth, we may assume that we've reached full spiritual maturity and credit that to the people who have taught us certain things or helped us to see things from a different perspective. And when we have that new revelation, we feel like all of a sudden, okay, we've reached that point and we want to credit the individual or ourselves for achieving that. But one, these Christians in Corinth had not reached spiritual maturity. They only knew what they knew and were having a hard time imagining that there was still more to know. And they weren't hungry to know it. They just wanted to use the fact that they had been taught by one apostle or another as evidence that they had reached their spiritual maturity. In our day, it may look a little different. It could be that our church experience has been an endless parade of programs designed to create growth. And we feel like if we've finished a program, we finished a workbook, we finished a set of classes, that now we're spiritually mature. And most often, we don't even want to credit the other individuals who taught us with that growth. We want to take responsibility for it ourselves. But as good as some of those programs may be, what they're doing is cultivating soil that creates an environment for growth, but it's God himself who's giving the growth. It's all of the people who have contributed in big ways and in small ways to cultivate that soil and to provide nourishment so that the plant can grow, but it is God that's enabling it to grow. God is working in and through those people to bring about the results that he wants. What we need to see is that it's not our job to make the church grow. It is our job to create an environment where the church can grow. We don't want to be people or part of a group of people who are hindering the growth of seeds that have been planted either within that church or by anyone else. Paul lets us know that we're all just farmhands. There's a field there that needs to be cultivated, and anyone in need of that seed being implanted should be able to count on us to cultivate and nurture. But ultimately, it's God who is the farmer. He is the one providing the growth. He moves right from there into saying that you are a temple, God's building. Paul tells us that all the building we do must be on the foundation of Christ. We should all strive to be master builders. But there are some who are using inferior materials. Some are building with materials that will not stand the test of time. 
Paul's point is that just because we're doing it for the church or saying we're doing it for God doesn't mean that it's spiritual work, that it is of any significance. Very often the thing that we want to do for the church is just an opportunity for us to get attention or praise that we're finding difficult to find otherwise. But Paul says the quality of our work will be revealed in times of trial. The day mentioned here doesn't seem to be a final judgment, but any time of trial where our work needs to stand up under pressure. Faulty workers can still be redeemed if they've built on a good foundation. We see this in our time as some churches go through tough times, and as they go through them, they become stronger. But others are devastated, maybe even ending up closing their doors. While Paul says that workers using inferior materials may be able to be rescued through the fire, he offers a more ominous warning to those who actively destroy the building. Workers who are destructive will be destroyed. He said in verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. And then Paul follows that up by saying that God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Often when we read this verse and a couple others similar to it, we imagine that he's talking about our own bodies and the spirit that lives in us and that we need to take care of our physical bodies because that's where the spirit dwells. And while there may be some truth in that, that's not what Paul's saying here. The word you here is actually plural in the Greek. It's talking about us collectively as Christians together being these living stones that God is building up into a temple. And collectively, we all are the temple of God. And that temple is to be holy. It can't be corrupted with sin, and it should never be desecrated or torn down in any way. We should be well aware of the sanctity of that temple, how it honors God, how God dwells in it and take very seriously the responsibility we have to be builders in that temple, in that house of God. We should strive to do it to the best of our abilities and use the best materials possible. Remember, Paul is using this as an analogy. He's not talking about physical materials. He's trying to make a spiritual point. What are the things that will last? He will say later in this letter that the things that remain are faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of those is love. The building materials that we should be using are in large part faith, hope, and love. Those things can't be destroyed. When we use those materials and build on the foundation of Christ, we are helping to complete this holy temple of God. And Paul says because of this interconnectivity, we're really a family. He says in the last paragraph that we actually belong to one another because all of us belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. People who were apostles, elders, preachers, teachers, they didn't run the church. They belonged to the church. They were servants of the church. They were there for the church's benefit. The congregation didn't belong to them. There was none of them that could say, this is my church. The church belonged to Christ. Each of those people were just there to provide their role in the family so that together they could be the strongest family possible. And that circles back to Paul's original point about divisions and how terrible they are because a dysfunctional family is not going to be able to achieve all that it's capable of. 
So Paul closes this chapter with a warning. He says, let no one deceive themselves. He quotes Job 5.13 and Psalm 94.11 and talks about how even our best efforts to come up with wise solutions are silly to God. He reminds us that we can't outsmart God, that there aren't any shortcuts to get where God wants us to go, and we do not have a better way to do it. And we have to constantly be reminded that our needs are not more important than the needs of the group. Paul lets his readers know that if we're going to be united in our purpose, we have to remember that we're farmhands building a temple to house the Spirit of God and our big happy family. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.